I like the, the overhead light. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, first, good morning to each of you. Uh, what a wonderful Lord's Day we have. I, the older I get, the more I just love the Lord's Day. And so, before we begin, I'd like to just have a small prayer. May the words in my mouth and the meditation in my heart be acceptable in thee, in thy sight, O Lord my strength, and my Redeemer. And may thy word go out with the unction of thy Holy Spirit that it return not void. In Jesus' precious name, amen. When I was, uh, well, I first should say, we haven't known much winter today, this year. In fact, in my 93 years, I can't remember <clears throat> a winter that's been more mild as this one. But all winters do issue into spring. And spring was a busy time of year when I was on the farm. It was a time to prepare the ground for sowing and seeding. And so... Just a few thoughts. We, the ground was had a lot of the afterfall of the, the year before. We had to turn off, put up new ground, the, the new soil. The old let that be for fertilizer. Then it had to be harrowed, and all the lumps of the ground ground up. Then it had to be rolled to pack the ground down for the seeding. Then the seeding. And that was true also in the garden. You know, farms always had a big garden because they didn't want to buy vegetables and fruits and things like that. So the reason I'm mentioning that is uh, the seeds that we sown in the fields were uh, corn, uh, corn wheat, of course, and alfalfa, especially alfalfa, because that which grew up from, it was so good for the cows. And uh, then in the... In the garden, of course, there was all kinds of vegetable seed, string beans, lima beans, red beets, carrots, celery, rhubarb, all, all that. But I say all that because everything we sowed, we reaped. In other words, we reaped what we sowed. And so as we're thinking about that, and, and, and by the way, talking about sowing and reaping, do you know... In the uh, in Luke, uh, I mean in Leviticus nineteen nineteen and Deuteronomy twenty two nine, it specifically says that you're not to mix the seeds when you sow. You sow you sow uh, wheat. You don't mix anything with it, and that goes right back to creation in Genesis one. Where ten times it says everything after its kind, and of course there's a spiritual element to that because. <clears throat> Uh, we don't. In other words, that's why we're not to be on. We're to be on equal. We're not to be on equally yoked, because everything. In other words, how can darkness mix with light? How can righteousness mix with unrighteousness? And so, what I'd like to do is, if you would turn to your my text is from Galatians six six to ten. Just a little background 
on uh, this book, that the epistle that Apostle Paul wrote. And his, the, the Apostle Paul wrote this in his first missionary journey. And he planted these churches there in what was then Asia Minor, but now we know it as Turkey. And uh, some time had gone by. Uh, he had gone up uh, to, uh, on his third missionary journey. He made a warning of what might happen, uh, would happen, if they were careless about who would be coming in to occupy the pulpit. This is what he said to the, um, to the elders on his third trip to a uh, third missionary trip at Ephesus. This is what he said. He said, God has made you overseer over this flock, the flock of God. And he went on to say that <clears throat> this, you're to govern this flock because of the Lord Jesus Christ who bought the church with his own precious blood. And then he said this. When I leave, I know grievous wolves are going to come in, and they're going to not spare the flock. But then he said this, I know that um, there are going to be some of your own kind that are going to come in and try to divide the clock to, to draw people after themselves. And that's exactly what was going on in Galatia. There were false preachers coming in, trying to draw others after themselves by coming in with a perverted gospel. And so... Just a, a little brief summary of the book before we read the text. You could say that the main theme of Galatians was justification, that the Lord Jesus Christ's atoning death on the cross was sufficient for to justify us before God. What was coming in, there are those that were trying to add some of the ceremonial law to combine with uh, uh, the work that Christ did on the cross, and that was just dividing the church. So that, number one, justification by faith alone, true versus the false gospel, liberty in Christ versus the legalism of the law, and the fruit of the Spirit versus the lust of the flesh, and one more, liberty in Christ against the spiritual bondage that goes in if we don't find liberty in Christ. Now, Come to our text, Galatians 6, 6, starting in verse uh, 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And the first point I would like to make with you this morning is God's care for his servants that minister the gospel. You see, when the church began, the Old Testament church began back uh, uh, with um, the raising up of uh, the uh, Israel. See, at that time, there was all the nations were caught up in adultery. God called out Abraham to make for himself a people of his own, and that through these people he would be a witness to the nations. And so, God communicated to Moses, and then through the priests, and they were to 
a, a responsibility of giving the word of God, not only to the people of Israel, but to all Gentiles that might come in. And so, what was happening? First, I would like to, I would like to make this very clear. God is jealous, zealous for those who are his ministers that minister his word. And so, he taught right from the very beginning in, in Numbers 18, 21, that he was going to take care of his people by giving them a tenth of all that came in. In other words, those that were priests of the priesthood were assigned a tenth of the, of the, of, of, of the offerings that came in. And do you know back in Genesis chapter 28, 22, um, uh, Jacob Jacob, uh, he had just caught a vision of the light reaching up from heaven to uh, heaven to earth, and angels ascending and descending. And he thought, "I'm in the house of God." He called it Bethel, and then he made an altar. And, and then he said these words to the Lord. He anointed the altar, <clears throat> and they said these words: "Lord, if you will provide for me all that I need and take me back to my father's house," he said. Then I will give you a tenth of all that you give to me. That's the first of the time the tenth is used in giving. And so, what uh, in this verse six here, God wants us to know that He is jealous for those who uh, preach and teach His word, because the gospel is very important for us to understand. It's so important that in Romans one sixteen, Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation." To everyone to believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It's that important. It's, it's an illuminating power. It's a power like the entrance of thy word, give the light, give understanding to the simple. Too proud, those are not too proud to take it in, receive it. It's a convicting power. Uh, Psalm 19.7 says it's a converting power too. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Three, it's a regenerating power. The Bible says in uh, 1 Peter uh, uh, 1.23, For we are born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And then it's a sanctifying power. In uh, um, 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 30, the Bible says that Christ has made unto us wisdom, redemption, uh, righteousness, and sanctification. And then, it's a liberating power. In John 8, 31, 36, Jesus said if, to those who believed on his name, he said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, and if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And then, uh, I would like to just also call attention that to those who preach this, and by the way, you know what Billy Graham said on, it was 1989, I went to Syracuse uh, to attend a missionary conference, and Billy Graham's crusade was there at that time, and uh, he addressed the, uh, uh, he addressed those who attended the conference, and he said, I'll never forget what he said. He said, brethren, you have the most important job in all the world. And when you think about it, it is. Because a pastor like Pastor Bob, he teaches good, he preaches good, 
and he's communicating the message that makes a difference between eternal damnation and eternal glorification. That's why it's so important, because it deals with eternity. And, that's, and so what we have here in verse 6, here is God's care for his servants. Uh, so much so that I'll, I'll just read a few verses to that. First Corinthians 9, 14 says, Even so hath the Lord ordained that we which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. 1 Timothy 5, 17, 18. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. The labor is worthy of his reward. But what was happening? Why did he have to see? Now look at verse 7. He, he speaks about his care for his people, but look at verse 7. He said, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Why is that contrast? And the only thing that I can understand that would happen was with these false preachers that were coming in, false, giving a false message, some of the people were giving their tithe to these false preachers and they were shortchanging the preachers that were preaching the good gospel. And how many, uh, they're on the air today, how many of them are siphoning off what belongs to the good preacher, to men like uh, Jerry, uh, Joel Osteen and Benny Hinn and the, and the like, that they're there, the false <coughs> ministers of the gospel. But God is sovereign. And one, the older I get, uh, when things don't go right, he is in control, and bless his holy name. Uh, the older I get, the more I love him. And the more it doesn't matter what he has for me to do. It's just good to know him, to love him, and to serve him. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about the folly of mocking God. Look here at verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. I would just like to call attention to something about first, what does it mean to mock? Well, uh, in, um, it has the idea of to ridicule, to scorn, to hold in derision. In Psalm 119, verse 51, it says, <clears throat> Remember thy servant, remember thy word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. For this is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. The proud have held me in great derision, but I have not declined from thy law. And then <clears throat> uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, Luke 16, 13, 14, he was, uh, uh, some of the words of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you cannot serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, or you'll <clears throat> hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that really infuriated the Pharisees because they said <clears throat> they held him in derision. Yeah, they held him in great derision. <clears throat> and, and so uh, what was happening here is I want you to see how... Um, uh, uh, that word mock, uh, what that word means. And that's, if, in other words, very simply, if we don't obey God, we're mocking him. I want to repeat that. If we don't obey God, we're mocking If we willfully disobey God, we're mocking him. And that's probably what was happening here. They were mocking God in the sense that they were not giving to the servants that were preaching the true gospel. 
You see, when we do not reverence his word, then we do not reverence his majesty and holiness. That's why Jeremiah 5, 22, they didn't, they didn't mock, uh, they mocked Jeremiah. Oh, they mocked Jeremiah. When they mocked Jeremiah, they were mocking God. And listen to what Jeremiah said, 5.22. God says, Will you not fear me, saith the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? I who hold, I who have made the sand, the weakest thing of all my creation to be a bound for the sea, that the waves regardless how much they roar, they cannot pass over. Therefore, according as I said before, according to this text, when we willfully disobey God, we mock him. And when, when we, especially when we ignore or reject his word. I want you to, I want you to consider Leviticus 20. There are eight different sexual sins for which God declared the death penalty for. <clears throat> eight, and, and, and you understand why I'm calling this out. I want you to consider David. He was a man of God. I mean, he was a man of God. Uh, he is a man of God after God's own heart. But do you know what God said about him after he had that affair with Bathsheba? He said, David, you have despised me. And so that, uh, when, we, when we can say, then we can say sexual sin mocks God. Whether it's fornication or adultery, whatever, when we engage in it, willfully engage in it, we're mocking God. And sexual sin is so rampant in the church today. Pastor Bob told me uh, about the uh, pastor's conference that he attended with 50 pastors. They went around and asked <clears throat> what their big problem was in the church. And they all said the same thing, sexual sin. In view of verses 6 and 7a, God is mocked when the people who bear his name do not own him as Lord. When we do not give him the preeminence, like it says in Colossians 1.18. God is mocked when we imitate the uh, believers in Malachi's day. What were they doing? Well, look what, for God, what God says first. He said, if I am your father, where's my honor? And then he said, if I'm your master, where's my fear? They treated the governor in Malachi's day better than they did God. They gave him second best, third best, and fourth best. And that's exactly how many times we treat the Lord. We give him second best, third best, and fourth best. The Lord is mocked when Hebrew 10, 25 uh, is ignored. Do not forsake the assembling yourself together after the manner of life which some is. And then we can go on. And Warren, uh, Rick Warren said this. He said, we're going to have another reformation. You heard me say this before, but I want to say it again. He said, instead of, uh, he said, we're going to have deeds instead of doctrine. He was placing deeds against ahead of the word of God. And by doing that, he was mocking God. If we willingly sin against God's command, then Proverbs 1 26. If you know anything about Proverbs chapter 1, you know God is calling out to the uh, to people to hear his voice and they're ignoring him, ignoring him. And so he says, okay, he says in verse 26, I will mock you. You will call unto me and I won't answer you. You will seek me early, but you will not find me. And then he said, because you, because you hated knowledge and you choose not the fear of the Lord.
And then in the, look at verse 6 again. For whatsoever man sought, that shall he also reap. And in Hosea 8-7, it says, they sowed to the wind and reaped the whirlwind. Do you know what that he's talking about? Their message, their worship was empty. It was empty. It was all of the flesh. It was all pretense. And so what do they expect to get? They expect to get the whirlwind, which is God's wrath. And that's why God's wrath was poured out against them time and time again, as you read the Old Testament. Now, look at verse 7. Yes. Be not deceived. God does not mock for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Verse 8, this is what I wanted to tell you. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I call that the nature of sowing. What does it mean to sow to the flesh? To sow to the flesh is, uh, uh, is to sow. What is, your, uh, what is the flesh? It's your corrupt nature. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's having a filthy appetite and passions. It's trying to find meaning to life apart from God. Because it all depends upon what I like, what my flesh likes, what my flesh enjoys, what my flesh craves. So what I'd like to do, uh, and then I'd like to ask you this question, to answer this question. What does it mean? It says, so to, what does that mean to sow to the Spirit? Well, let me share with you what it says from um, John. Uh, uh, Sixteen fourteen. It was in the upper room. It was a time, uh, 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 the upper room discourse. It was in chapter uh, 16, verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive a mind and shall show it unto you. So then, to sow to the flesh is to be governed by the flesh. To sow to the spirits to be governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now keep that in mind. To sow... To the flesh is to be uh, to, to sow to the uh, to the flesh is to be governed by the flesh, and to sow to the spirit is to be governed by uh, the Lord Himself. Now, I could go down. There are so many illustrations in the Old Testament, so many illustrations in the New Testament, but I, I'm going to do it a little bit different. What I want to do now is, I want you to think about something. Uh, I want you to. Uh, uh, um, I want you to picture, uh, go, uh, go back to uh, Genesis 3, 6. It says, Eve saw that the, the, uh, the fruit was good to look at. It was good for food, but it was pleasant to make one wise. And that's where the big I came in, the big I. And our Lord Jesus addressed that in, uh, when he said in, uh, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 7, 13, 14, when he said, Enter at the straight gate, because I am the doorkeeper of the straight gate. For wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. That wide gate that leads to uh, the Broadway that leads to destruction is by those who profess Christ, and, and they're not they're not people who never uh, they're dead in trespasses. They're people that have made a profession of faith but are going the Broadway. Yeah, and then he said this: Yes, my way it's hard, it's difficult. It's narrow, but it leads to life. And so 
what I, I, reason I want you to see that, because I want you to see uh, uh, the, um, how the contrast between sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. I'm going to give you some illustrations here. I thought that would be better than just going say well, this, well, this, this. You'll understand what I mean when I go on. Beginning of the Old Testament church, you see the contrast right away between the sowing of the flesh and the sowing of the spirit. Achan. He knew the all uh, contraband was under the curse when they entered into Jericho, when they entered into Canaan at Jericho, he knew everything was under the curse of goods. But he saw that wedge of gold and the wedge of silver and the Babylonian garnet and all he could think was years ahead. All he could think was the horizontal. I won't have to worry about paying bills for a long time. He ignored, was indifferent to what God said. And so he brought a curse upon himself, and you know what happened to him. But then on the other side, then there was Caleb. He sowed to the Spirit. He too was in the beginning of the church there in Canaan. It says, Canaan, Caleb, wholly followed the Lord. See the contrast? Uh, Achan, he sowed to the flesh at the same time period. But Caleb, an old man like myself, <laughs> He sowed to the Spirit. Praise God. Okay, now let's take another. Uh, beginning uh, of the New Testament church, you see a contrast again between two. You see a contrast between Ananias and Sapphira. What was their crime? They were looking for a reputation. In other words, at that time, see... When people gathered from all over the world, Jews gathered from all over the world to attend the feast on the Passover, usually they went back right away. But when Pentecost came and there was 3,000 saved at one time, then the next day more people were saved. They had to do something with it. They didn't want to go back right away. So they had a problem. They had a food problem and a housing problem. And so those that were there had to come up with money. Well, uh, 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 and then I Sapphira, they came up. Yeah, they sold a, a bunch of. They sold their property and they put it at the police uh, uh, disciples' feet, just like they were. Oh, we're good, but they only gave part of it. And what does God say about his lying is abomination to the Lord? But they who deal truly are his delight, and that abomination cost them their lives. But then look at Barnabas at that same time period. Yes, he gave too. But he, the, the, he was so humble in and, and spirit, the apostle gave him the name of consolation, which means a helper, a helper, a, 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 a giver. So you see, there you have again, one to the flesh, one to the spirit. Then we have, now this is personal, which governs your life on the Lord's day? The flesh or the spirit? This is the best day of the week. It's a day when our Lord conquered death. It's a day that our, it's a day of worship. So I ask you again, who, conquer, who governs your life on the Lord's day? But who governs the time you get here? Who governs your faithfulness when you are here? Or how often you come? 
You can't, you can't escape that either one or the other. We're either sowing to the flesh or we're sowing to the spirit. Who governs your life in the expenditure of money? The flesh or the spirit? In Haggai 1.6, the temple, all it had was a bare foundation. And what were the people doing that claimed to be uh, Jews? They were building their house and decorating their house, but they were ignoring, they were ignoring the temple was the place of worship. And so Haggai prophet says, he said, your wages, because you will not give, you're putting your wages in a bag of holes. And that's exactly what, if we won't give the Lord our best in money, and we just give him second best, third best, fourth best, someone says, it, what you don't give to him, you'll pay to the devil. Because the, the enemy will find a way, uh, the Lord will, will find a way of taking it from you. When we earn our daily bread, uh, where we work, where we work to earn our daily bread, uh, uh, Ephesians 6, 5. Do we do it as an eye pleaser? In other words, do very good while the boss is there watching and then bear our old self when he's gone? Or do we do it as to the Lord? That's what Ephesians 6, 5 is about. One or the other. When, when, and when, we, when we give ourselves in labor, we're either sowing to the flesh or we're sowing to the Spirit. We're either being governed by the flesh or being governed by the Spirit. In the home, does the flesh govern or does the Lord Jesus Christ govern, which is his rightful due? If we say the Lord governs, does his love govern the role he has assigned to each other and to the children? Or does the flesh govern? And let me tell you about, uh, you heard this before, we're going to say it again. And it's very precious to me because it has to deal with what we're talking about. He said, um, there was 20 young men that were uh, uh, um, felony or misdemeanor. And there was a counselor who interviewed each one. And he asked the same question each one. If when you were growing up, you could change, if there one thing you could change, what would it be? And they all said the same thing. That our parents would have loved each other. Because when parents love each other, it trickles down to the children. It makes the children feel secure. And they grew up too as a model, just like their parents were. But the, if, there's, if the opposite is true, if the flesh governs, then they grow up just like the parents. What spirit governs when there's a need for forgiveness? And I find it's very difficult for some believers to, uh, to forgive. Well, we can, again, we can take Ahithophel, or we can take the Lord Jesus in his humanity. He was always ready to forgive. But Hithophel, the grandfather of Bathsheba, never forgave David and eventually committed suicide. That's how much that poison is of an unforgiving spirit. It'll destroy you inwardly. In our dealings with the people, do we leave the aroma of the flesh or the aroma of Christ? 
We meet people every day uh, as we go uh, through this uh, earthly journey. And we're either leaving the aroma of Christ or the aroma of the flesh and the people we meet. Do you think they don't pay attention to us? Acts 4.13 says this. After Paul, after Peter and John, that miracle of the lay man, the uh, gate called beautiful, they, uh, 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 they did not take claim. They did not, they did not say we did it. They said the Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ did this. And then they began to interrogate them. And then they finally came this. They saw them as learned and uh, unlearned and ignorant men, but they knew that they, they could see that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Do get, people get that sense when they get acquainted with you? That you've, that you've been with Jesus? I had that contrast, but I'd like to share a few things more about sowing to the Spirit. First of all, I would like to, I would like to give you a, a scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20, why, we should be so, why, we should, why the Lord Jesus should be governing our lives. What, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This, uh, then there is um, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And First Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. See, if we are sowing to the Spirit, if we're, under, if we're being governed by the Lord, then we love to proclaim his name. We love, uh, it, it just, uh, his name is above every name, above every principality, power, and, and, and name that's named, and above every name that's named in this, in this world and in the world to come. And all things are put under his feet. I don't care how bad things seem. They're still under his feet, and he's working all things here for the counsel of his own will. And one day we'll understand why he allowed all these things to happen. We sow in the Spirit when we proclaim His name. Uh, 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 I'm sorry. When, we, when we're out witnessing like Anthony and, 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 and others do, uh, when we sow in... They, oh, this here, here it is. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Oh, won't that be great when we get to heaven and see how may the Lord was pleased to use us to bring to glory? Our labor is not in vain in the Lord, so we should have great joy of being under his authority and being pleased to serve him, not in our flesh, but in the, in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge his right to govern us when we give him the preeminence. We should because he made peace through the blood of his cross. He is our peace. We sow in spirit when we take Luke 9.23 and 1 Peter 2.20 at heart. What does Luke 9.23 says? 
If you want to be my disciple, then take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. He doesn't say accept me. He said follow me. And then 1 Peter 2.20, our Lord says, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Now he says, you follow him. You follow me with that spirit. See, the persecuted that we read about, I don't see it in, in this country. But when I get so much uh, uh, when I get so much information about uh, these other lands, it's just it, it's incredible. It's incredible how these people are really sold out to the Lord. They don't have the world and the things of the world uh, as a stomach block. They have the Lord Jesus Christ. They're focused on him. Because, like it says in Hebrew 12, looking on to Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down the right hand of God the Father. They had their focus on him just like Psalm 112, verse 7. Nothing disturbed him because he's focused on the Lord. Now, I would talk a little bit about the perseverance necessary for reaping. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let me just give you a few words on that. You know, our great example for perseverance, our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to picture 30 years, 30 years in the environment of a home, brothers and sisters, and you can imagine how he saw the ugliness of human nature because they were unsaved. And yet in that atmosphere, uh, and, and uh, I don't think the brothers liked him because in, in, in John 7, 5, they did not believe in him, that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe in him. And uh, then, uh, then uh, can you picture 30 years uh, 30 years in the carpenter's shop, or not 30 years, but maybe 20 years in the carpenter's shop, and he put up with bad manners of the people. Can you imagine that test that he had? Can you imagine the test that he had when with the disciples, one, one time he says, it's not go, what goes into the mouth, but what's comes out. And the disciples couldn't understand what he was talking about. He had explained, are you without understanding? Don't you know that what you eat is to uh, nourish your body and the rest goes out in the drought? But he said, what comes out of your mouth, it comes out from your heart. Don't you understand that? And then another time he says, beware of the love of the Pharisees. And all they could think about was the bread, bread, bread. He said, are you without, so understanding, don't you know it's to beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees? I'm sharing these things to show you the perseverance of our Lord and humanity. And so are we to persevere. As life unfolds in every area of life, uh, there's, uh, there's perseverance. Whether you're a businessman, whether you're whatever worker you are, it takes perseverance. If you're going in the field of medicine, it takes perseverance. And the perseverance and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. In Matthew 24, 13, 
It says, they that endure to the end shall be saved. And every time Daisy and I would read that verse, we'd say, we want to endure to the end. That's evidence that we belong to the Lord Jesus. Now consider all the examples of Scripture. I want to give you a few examples of Scripture. Joseph, was ever a man tried like he, yet he held fast. Moses, 40 years putting up with those rebellious people, just think of the perseverance it took for Moses to still be the leader of that rebellious group. How about David? For 13 years, he's hunted like an animal. But the Lord raised him up. Then the prophets in the, uh, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, look at, what, look at how they were always blasphemed, especially Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Then how about the apostle Paul? All you have to do is look at 2 Corinthians 11, and you see how he persevered. Then Philippians they martyred them through all ages, especially in the beginning of the first three centuries. And now, these last couple of centuries, there's more, and I got this from Pastor Bob. There are more people being martyred now for the faith in these last couple of years than all the years before. That goes to show you the great persecution that's coming up now. And yet, our brethren in these lands that are persecuted, they're steadfast, giving their lives. I'd like to give you just a few verses that, to help you in persevering. Philippians 4.8 Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, think on these things and the things that you heard of me and seen in me do, and the peace of God shall be with you. And then there is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We have the promise of God. For God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested above that which you're able, but in the, te- in the testing will provide a way of escape. And Hebrews 13, 6, when he says, be not, co- be not covetous of the things that are passing away, for I promised I will never leave you nor forsake you. And how about uh, John 10, uh, uh, 45, when it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and, uh, uh, and they follow me, and no one will pluck them out of my hand. We can, be, we, can give, we can be free with our life. We don't have to hold on to our life, because the Lord, if that, what Pastor Bob said this morning about that broken violin, if, he, if the Lord knows about that, how much more does he know about each one of us? I just give this verse to you before I go on. Philippians 1.27 Only let your man of life be as it become of the gospel of Jesus Christ that whether I come to you or else be absent I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one mind and one spirit striving together for the faith of the gospel. This morning we read about the necessity to be filled with the Spirit. Do you know what my heart's desire here for our people here? To be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the only way we can be filled with the Holy Spirit is if we're going to be governed by the Spirit of God, not be governed by the flesh. I've lived long enough that I'm tired of flesh. I'm tired of seeing uh, people deceiving themselves by making professional faith, but then being governed by the flesh. 
Therefore, my beloved brother, therefore, <coughs> be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then, verse, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. And here again, it can be summarized in one verse, Hebrew, um, uh, um, uh, uh, Acts 10.38, talking about our Lord Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him and anointed him with power to go around doing good, delivering them who are oppressed of the devil. Matthew 12, 15 shows about doing for all men. Look at this. Uh, the Lord had just healed a man with a withered hand at, uh, at the um, a synagogue. And that infuriated the, uh, the Jews so much that uh, they wanted to nail him then. So our Lord, he, he leaves, and a great multitude follows him. And what does he do? He heals them all. He heals them all of that great multitude that followed him. See, he always done good to those who hated him and those who loved him. And did you ever see such love when he was hanging upon the cross and seeing those people hate him and revile him? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There are many things, but we're to imitate him. Do good to all men, but for time's sake, I'm going to have to cut this short. But just a few verses. Uh, see that you uh, see that's, that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Romans twelve twenty one. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And then just, just to give you a, a, a sample of what's going on in the other world. Uh, 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 just, a, just a little testimony. In Nigeria, where thousands of God's people have been slaughtered, listen to what these home missionaries are doing. There in, in, in Nigeria, there was a lot of people that are displaced, Muslims, whether economic conditions or not, I don't know. But the home missionaries, you know what they do? They go to where these home missionaries are. They dig down and bore down and get water for them and nourish them, and then they give them audio Bibles that some of them are coming to faith. In other words, when you do good to, good to all men, it's a way of bringing people into, into, to come to Christ. And I could give you many testimonies on that, but now, for time's sake, I just would like to close with, uh, with this a few words here uh, on application. Some, I, I, I'm going to repeat this again. Someone has said, if you will not give to the Lord his due, we will be forced to give to the devil, which much more, and, and we will until as long as we remain his prisoner. Hosea 10, 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. And how does he rain righteousness upon you? Listen to what uh, uh, Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says. 
Let not the uh, uh, rich man glory in his riches. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. But let him that glory, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord who loveth righteousness and justice and mercy. He said, in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So what, what we do then, uh, when we plow the fallow ground, we don't let the old day, we don't let the flesh uh, govern. We don't let the flesh govern how uh, we uh, serve the Lord. We let him who governs us, uh, we let our, uh, we let the Spirit of God govern us. This verse separates, this verse invigorates Gideon's. Isaiah 55, 10, 11 says, so shall my, as the rain cometh down from heaven and the snow and water the earth and bringeth forth seed that maketh bring forth and bud, so shall my word be that goeth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the place whereto I send it. And this verse, it's, it's, our, it's ours. It's ours that when we go out, wherever we go, just share the gospel. It's amazing how many times I have to share that in the phone. Uh, when people, uh, I get a lot, got, get a lot of scam calls. Yeah, I know they're scammed right away. You know what I do? I just quote scripture. I had a guy call me yesterday, uh, and and it's amazing how they listen. So what I'm trying to say, when the word of God is in your heart, it's got to come out, and be always ready to give it out. That's what makes that's what makes the Christian life. Fulfilling, because you're led by the Spirit, you're filled by the Spirit, and you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Praise His name. I do not know all that's taking place in Kentucky uh, about the revival that's taking place, but this I know. Our church and all churches need the Spirit of the early church. Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and, and praying, they fed upon what Christ had done for them, and we need revival. Now I'm going to say something to you serious. As we examine ourselves this morning, are we sowing to reap a harvest that will glorify God, or are we sowing a harvest uh, to reap a harvest of corruption that will bring eternal regret? I'm going to ask to say that one more time and slowly. As we examine ourselves this morning, are we sowing to reap a harvest that will glorify God, or are we sowing to reap a harvest of corruption that will bring eternal regret? Now, two testimonies in closing. How many of you have heard of Robert Moffat? He was a Scottish missionary that went to Africa. And on one occasion, he came home in furlough. He had a great need of brethren to help him. So it happened to be a cold British winter night. And so the church that was gathering together to uh, hear him, hear his ministry, very few people came, and only women came. And his text was in Proverbs 8, 4, Unto you, O man, I call my voice is to the sons of men. That was his text in Proverbs 8 and 4. He gave it the best he could, but he was so discouraged. But yet, in that audience, there was a little boy. 
in the organ loft, assisting the organist. And he was so moved by what he heard that he was determined to follow this man when he got older. He got an education. He got a medical degree in medicine. And the rest of his life, he spent in missionary work to the tribes of Africa. Who do you think that man was? David Livingston. That little boy in the fire life. And you know what I thought when I read, heard about it? I thought about the young fellows that we have. Liam, Sebastian, Elijah, Jonathan. How do you know that one time something you say, Pastor Bob, might invigorate them, might excite them to say, yes, I want to be a missionary. I want to be a preacher. I want to... You don't know. You just don't know. And then the last one. A man, an 18-year-old man by the name of David Talmage. He was about 18 years old. And he and his brother and sister uh, wanted to go to the, uh, a, a gay party, not like the gay today, just uh, where there was fun and frolicking. And so before they left, they passed by their mother. Uh, no, the mother says, he called them. He said, come here, I want to talk to you. She said, well, you're gone. I'm going to be praying for you because I know where you're going. They never got back to 2 o'clock. And as they walked past her mother's door, there she was on her knees praying. It so convicted them, so powerfully convicted them, that that night they all got saved. It started a, a, a revival in the church where they were members. And that David became the father of D. Witt Talmage of the 19th century, one of the greatest preachers America had in the 19th century. Sowing, yes, on our knees. Sowing, yes, with the, the health and strength God has given to it. And we will sow and count for the kingdom of God as long as we're governed by the Spirit of God and not governed by the flesh. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, we just have this brief prayer. May your word not return void, but may we be governed by thee, Lord Jesus, and by thy spirit, not be governed by the awful flesh, that we might count for the kingdom of God and rejoice when we see thee. Oh, may your word not return void. In Jesus' name, amen.